Coming up, we'll discuss what Knott's chaperone policy means for your attraction this Halloween season, the Icon theme park recall, and USJ's new Halloween announcements. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunt Attraction Network podcast, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Speaking of preparing for Halloween, of course, our applications are open for the annual Hauntathon that we do. They close on Friday. Make sure you get your application in. It only takes two minutes to apply. You can apply at hauntathon.info or at the link in our show notes. And of course, today is Monday, and every Monday we have our weekly segment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. In Green Tagged, Scott Swenson and I take the biggest news from each week and break it down for why it should matter to you. And with that, here's Green Tagged. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip. I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And Scott, today we're going to start off by talking about some big policy updates that people have been announcing. Big policy updates, updates, updates. Big, I feel like we need like a stinger for that because we've done policy before. Big policy updates. Shut (laughs) up. So the first one, of course, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this, but it's Knott's Berry Farm is going to require chaperones on the weekends after fights broke out at the theme park this past weekend. So days after a string of fights at Knott's Berry Farm, the theme park is requiring that all visitors 17 and younger be accompanied by an adult chaperone on Fridays and Saturdays. Multiple fights among teenagers broke out at Knott's Berry Farm over the weekend, forcing the theme park to close three hours early on Saturday. In light of the mayhem, theme park officials are rolling out a new chaperone policy requiring that visitors younger than 18 be accompanied by an adult who is at least 21 to enter. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Chaperones must present a photo ID with a date of birth and can accompany up to three guests. According to the policy, which is posted on Knott's Berry Farm's Code of Contact page Wednesday. What do you think, Scott? So, I... Right? I think I think oh, I, there's so there's so many twisted things to un, to unravel here, and really I I don't necessarily have a whole lot of answers, but I sure do have a lot of questions. Um, my my first question, my first well my first statement is it's sad that this is that that the the park seems to think that this is a reality and this is a necessity, and I'm not mm-hmm. questioning their decision. Um, I just think it's sad that we are in a state that that this is what has to happen. Um, and you know, I we we have heard rumblings um, from Knotts and some of their sister parks that you know violence is an ongoing trouble, uh, ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> this seems to be a be a very drastic move. Um, but if they've tried everything else, I uh, you know I can't I can't be too upset with them for trying to keep the park safe for everybody. Uh, where where my question lies is uh, you know. This is now. This is Fridays and Saturdays only, correct? Yep. So, because I was my first question was going to be, how does that, how's that going to handle with, or how's that going to work with like school field trips and that sort of thing? But that's clearly not going to be an issue. Um, who? Yeah, I, 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 I understand exactly why they're doing it. I understand exactly their. Um, thought process but i i think it's unfortunate that it has to happen this way that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell i i I question i question whether it's going to work but i think only time will tell in regards to that 
Yeah, I don't think it's going to work. Um, you don't think it's going to work because? Gosh, this is such a... I'm not exactly sure how to how to explain, so I'll just kind of give you some data points. Just, you know, like, um, it. I think it's very similar to... You know, I used to be a classroom teacher mm -hmm. and also now running Gantum. Um, those two things may not seem similar, but at times they are. <laughs> and your staff doesn't listen to the show anyway, so we're okay. I think we're, yeah. we're fine. Um, I think it is, it's very similar to like, uh, you know, when I was a teacher and I had to take the, uh, the, the, the class on classroom management, you know, and it was like, oh, these are all things you have to do. And so you basically have two schools of thought. One school of thought is like the the rules-based punitive measure, where it's like anytime a kid is one minute late, you lock the door, you make them stand outside, you make them walk in with a big like shame arrow on them, you take their name, you write it down, you give them a pink slip, you send them to the office, you have a parent-teacher conference, you put it in the file, you document it. And I was like, right, for being a minute late, okay. Uh, when do I, am I going to have time to teach? Because it's going to be like a lot of paperwork, you know, and then just that kind of, there's that school of thought. And then there's the other school of thought, which is kind of the like reward positive behavior type of thing. You know, if you are here on time and whatnot, then there are positive incentives that are, so it's basically, it comes down to the culture. And it's kind of the same at the office type of thing where, you know, like I've also been in conversations and kind of around, you know, like where, it's like, oh, do we need to, you kind of like, we need to do another presentation on our dress code policy and we do another presentation on like texting during Zoom calls and blah, 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 and tell people not to do them. And I'm like, that doesn't really work. <laughs> you know, like, it just, you know, it, it, it kind of never works. It's more like looking at the incentives and figuring out how are the incentives aligned. If people are incentivized, in, in the direction you want that that's always much better and also then i guess it just it also comes down to a culture thing too you know if, if it is the the culture at your workplace to dress in violation of the dress code it's going to be very difficult for you to turn that around with a presentation at the staff lunch meeting right you know, but even I if you bring think, them I think donuts talking about, i think we're talking about two different things here i mean when you're talking about a staff you're talking about someone who has a vested interest because they're employed when you're talking about teaching a classroom full of students they have a vested interest because they have to go to school or they're trying mm, to, mm, well they they, mm. have, they have a vested interest in that um well i don't i, don't, I think i know nope. they a, have no vested interest and they actively hate you I, well, I think it's a weak. Then I think it's a very weak correlation because they don't actively hate going to a theme park. So I, I, I think it's. I think what we have to look at is what are the alternatives. You know, that's where I I find this to be a really slippery and very tricky slope. What are the alternatives? And I do know that at one point in time, other theme parks that I've chatted with have talked about making after five o'clock eighteen and up, where yeah. you can't you can't have your your fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year olds. Uh, who are the the majority of the the demographic that that caused these fights even come into yeah. the park but i don't see that that's a viable a viable option either so what based on your because uh, you, you you know right. you're saying rewarding positive behavior doesn't work and you're saying that that uh, that negative reinforcement doesn't work what i didn't what say that re i didn't say rewarding positive behavior didn't work i i think I, what i was trying to get at is that there's it, it's it comes down to two school two schools of thought. There's either punitive or there's cultural. Mm -hmm. Those are the schools of thought. So you either you either punish or you try and build a culture where it doesn't need to happen. But in both cases, you need to there's work involved. 
right? It's not it's in it's not just a sit back and and kind of like relax it and kind of a thing. And so I it's very difficult because I think there's merits to each side. So I'm not trying to say that one side is worse than the other. Mm -hmm. I think my overall point is that Knotts clearly is is thinking that the the punishment side of things is the is the way they have to go on this. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if it's you know, kind of like completely accurate or not. But when you're asking for alternatives, what I would say is let's think about the other end of things about the culture side of things and think if there's if there's ways to do that, which would include looking at how does security approach the situations, what type of security is there. Are there, where are these happening? Is it happening in light, in like dark areas where there's no lights and there's no kind of like, are, are you creating situations already where this is encouraged? And is there ways to flip that, to reverse it and encourage the opposite type of behavior in easy ways? And I will just say some of my like data points, having visited knots and seen fights break out <laughs> in situations, um, there have been red flags that I have seen that I have personally seen when fights have broken out in front of me at knots that I would, where it has not been the guest that, that in that situation. And I have seen it, I have seen where security has been deliberately in like kind of deliberately antagonizing guests. I have seen it where there have been unsafe areas in the park that really should have been lit better or had trip hazards removed or been blocked off in certain ways. I, so I have seen, so, and this is why I mentioned this, because I have seen some areas where I'm like, okay, this kind of could be just a, just a little bit of tweaking and we might have, and maybe, so I'm not saying that's the only answer, you know, because I, I do kind of think you need a middle ground. You need a little bit of, like, obviously we have rules in our society. We have a, you know, we have a, you have to have, you have to have consequences because there's always, there's always that kid in the class or that person, et cetera. There's, there's always a very small percentage of the population that is just like you, that's why we have a, a laws. There, there's, it's not, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be incentivized. They just want to cause chaos, right? So that's kind of, so I'm just saying, I think there might be other tweaks, other opportunities. And when you ask for specifics, I would say specifics in terms of analyzing when the conflict happens, how are we dealing with this? What, le what is leading up to the conflict? You know, and then are there any areas specifically or operational things that we could do to reduce the possibility of it? Well, and I, I and it's interesting because I agree with you. It, there is a middle ground that has to be found. And I think culturally we have an issue, but it's not the culture of the theme park. It's currently the culture of the United States. Then so that is that if you if you feel as though you have been disrespected or wronged in any way, violence is for many, many people in this country, the go-to answer. So I then think- how come it doesn't happen at Disney? It does happen at Disney. You can't say that it doesn't happen at Disney. It does happen at Disney. You wanna know the real reason it happens less at Disney? Ticket prices are higher. Because it's a higher quality product. You know, um, you have different kinds of fights, but it does happen at Disney. And you can't say that it, you can't say that it's a difference, a complete difference in training, staffing, and culture, although I do think that's part of it. Um, but it does happen at Disney. It happens at SeaWorld. It happens at Busch Gardens. It happens at Universal Studios. It happens at every single theme park in the country. Fights break out. Um, it is probably more prevalent at Knott's uh, because it is a lower price ticket in the market. I mean, you know, you yourself have said that on this show that their that their ticket is lower. So it, it, it has more accessibility to people whose culture is such that uh, violence is their go to choice. So I, 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 I don't think you can say that it's completely the culture of the park because it, it does happen everywhere. 
I don't know that I want to sit on that because I, I think that that's opening up a difficult can of worms. I think I think I overall I kind of agree with you, but the way that I would I would put it instead, like I agree with most of the things you said. The piece I agree with, to be specific, is that I think that Knots being at a lower price point allows them to open up to a larger market overall. And what that does is it brings in a lot more different groups of people from so different socioeconomic mm -hmm. statuses. You bring them all together mm -hmm. versus a Disneyland, which is a much closer in terms of who comes into the park. They're all closer to the same type well, of subset of people that know how to get along. And you yourself have used the analogy higher walls in Disney. So, Correct. So, um, but I, I, I want to push back though on, on, on like the premise that there are certain groups of people that are prone to violence. Because no, I kind of like that, Now, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. You're assuming that I'm saying socioeconomic and I'm not. There are, there are certain groups of people, whether we like it or not, that are more prone to violence, but I'm not saying it's socioeconomically based. I'm saying it's ideologically ideologically based, and I'm agreeing with you in the fact that I'm saying it's culturally based. Um, what I'm saying is it's not the culture of a park, it's the culture of the United States right now. And the reason I'm concerned about this not working is I'm not sure that just because you're 21 years and older that you're going to be um, you're going to be anti-violent. Uh, uh, I have yes. literally watched- I agree with that 100%. I have literally yes. watched parents say, you know, there's a costume character, go over and kick him when he's not looking. I've seen them do yeah. that. Go kick Elmo. You know, I've seen them do that. So that's why I say yeah. that I don't know whether the chaperone thing is going to work. I think what they're trying to do, quite honestly, is because they're uh, requiring someone to be 21 years of age or older who is in essence vouching for these minors, uh, they have someone they can, they can litigate against. I think they're looking at it from a, a standpoint that, and, and hopefully that will be enough to put the fear of God in people. I don't know. I th that's a really interesting perspective. I had not thought about the litigation. You can't, you can't litigate. That is very interesting. Yeah. I, I agree with you that it's the age thing is not going to help. I didn't think about the litigation angle. I think that could be why they're doing it. Um, mm, I don't know. So let's, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up here about this is that it, and, and a reason why we're talking about this, I think right now, why I thought this was important to bring about is that this is going to happen more when it gets to Halloween, because as we have talked about a lot, especially last year, last year, there was already a lot, a lot of violence um, at, mm -hmm. at uh, Halloween events last year. And then of course there's been shootings in, in that we've reported on. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the shootings were, were just kind of a, a line based, you know, it, it was like, people skipping lines or having to wait or there, there was this, it's going to get worse. I think, uh, as the fall gets closer as because demand's still high and uh, fall events, this tends to pick up on. Um, I think that's, that's why it's important is to look at that. Um, what, what, what do you think are the takeaways? What could be the possible solutions for people listening? Because it, to, if we take your point, which is that it, it's a, it's kind of a American problem. Well, when, when, when attractions open up for Halloween, <laughs> That's it. It's got like open the floodgates. It's going to be a thing. Absolutely. And it always has been. It's that violence at Halloween events is nothing new. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you talk to any haunter, you talk to anybody who's been involved in the haunted attraction industry, whether it's in a theme park or whether it's in an independent haunt or even a home haunt. And the first thing they'll tell you is the story about the time so-and-so punched them or such and such kid, you know, hurt them in some way and they survived it. They're always gonna tell war stories. So this is not a new problem. It is one that I think is going to continue to escalate. Um, but I, I'm 
going to go back to what I've seen work in the past and, and maybe it can be ramped up. I don't know. It is partially, uh, you know, as you say, uh, sort of that hybrid between uh, punishment of bad behavior and changing the culture. I think that the takeaway for most people is as we get into the Halloween season, or even you may find you need this even in daily mm -hmm. operation. Yeah, I would test it early. Make certain, make certain that you have a presence of either the local police force or a true security team. And when I say true security team, these are not people who are trying to catch people jumping lines. These are people who have the authority to remove people from the park. Um, and make sure that they are not hidden, make sure that they are very present, very visible, so that you are setting forth the idea, we do not tolerate this kind of behavior. So there's your cultural right there. There's your upfront, there's your how to, to re-embrace re, um, re or retrain the culture is by showing we care. I think it's also important that if you have those people, they do engage with the guests who are behaving appropriately. They're the Correct. ones who do reach out to the the families with small children who, you know, are probably going to be the most likely to get hurt unnecessarily in a fight that they had nothing to do with, um, mm -hmm. that are reaching out and, and reinforcing that kind of, of positive behavior. Uh, I think it is also incredibly uh, important to recognize you know, just like you said, locking the door and, and throwing away the key. I don't think it, you quite need to go that far, but I do think that that attractions need to pony up and say, uh, we are going to remove you from the, the property and you can't come back for 30 days. You do need a police officer in order to do that. Um, you do not need to press charges in order to do that, however, or at least you don't in Tampa. There, again, there are other laws, local laws may supersede the, the general understanding, but um, look at the laws in your area and find out what you can and can't do. Um, if you can, you know, say, look, you act like a jerk, we can we can take you out of the park for a month. And people will always argue, well, what if they have a season pass? Do we have to refund that month? That's up to you as a business. I will be honest, I'd go ahead and do it because I think the amount that you're going to refund in that month of season pass is going to more than make up for the amount you're going to have to pay in any form of litigation if they harm another guest. I think I, I agree with with, with everything, most everything you said, I, I think what, what I would kind of add to the security section is I think that uh, the training and, and kind of, I think your term of like true security, you know, that, that, that I think that's well-trained security. That's, You're exactly, well-trained, well-trained, well-trained. That is, that is so, that, a, that's exactly. And I, I think, especially because, you know, I think that you need someone that understands the nuance of behavior. And, mm -hmm. and this is a big thing with a, I don't know what a big thing with it because because the park specifically called out the teens in this in, in their statement which i don't know if i would have specifically called out that behavior it kind of seems like they're blaming the guests but uh, kind of blaming the a whole section of them but kind of i guess what i would say if, if really it is that kind of age group again coming from working with that age group you know like they they act very differently when they're with their friends versus when they're with like their parents and who they're around that kind of thing they're like you know teenage boys there's a, just a lot of like just kind of i don't even i don't I mean you know like there's they're, they're they're cursing they're kind of like joshing each other there's a lot of like that that happens right but you i think you need the security with enough training to understand the the nuances and that kind of stuff and also to treat them respectfully that's the other thing too like you 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 shouldn't uh, it's, called, it's kind of like you 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 want to treat kids like the adults you want them to be and that means giving them the respect when they 
when they deserve it and when they earn it, just like you would, you know. So, and you need to understand when when they're just kind of, uh, you know, doing like friend behavior and when that behavior, where's the line between that and when it's dangerous. And someone needs to understand. And there is a line, there is a line for sure. But kind of like when when some guys are just like hanging out and kind of be like, oh man, you know, with, with their friends versus when they are actually fighting or they are doing something that is dangerous, that, that's, that, that's a line people need to understand. And they need to be respectful. And to your point, I love your point about interaction with security. And I think that for me, contrasting the, the two experiences, you know, having going to both parks frequently, you know, um, at Disney, the last time I was there, you know, security was like, oh, I really like that shirt. That's great. And I was like, oh, so he like, it's like, you need to take the security from someone who is always just going to be there to point at you and say you're doing something wrong to like, they're trying to be helpful and that they are respectful, helpful people. That's what you need. And and when they are respectful and helpful people, it's, it's not only helping to build the culture of these are somebody that I can trust, but it also, if you, if you had planned to do something nefarious, it also suggests- It diffuses that. I yeah. see you. It's, yeah. it's the whole reason for the Walmart greeters. Yes. I mean, it's the, yes. you have been seen by a real person and, yes. uh, you know, so. And, and you, you don't want that prejudgment. That is a huge piece of this whole thing, you know, that, that, that contributes a lot. You don't want to assume somebody is going to do uh, a behavior, a bad behavior just based on the way they look or yeah, it's what a, they it's are a, doing. It's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a game of inches, not a game of yards. It is, um, you have to be able to recognize, as you've said, you've, you yourself have witnessed with your trained eye, some red flags or some yellow flags that, Hey, a fight's going to start here. Um, and you have to know how to diffuse those. And if you can spread that kind of training into the rest of your staffing, which of course staffing is already a nightmare. Um, yep. If you can do that, great. But make sure at the very least that your security officers or even bring in local police officers who can be who become part of your team as an adjunct. Um, it can be very beneficial. Yeah, so to, to sum it up, I think Scott and I are on that, that same page about the training is important and, and this is going to this is going to become more of a thing. We're going to hear more stories about this as it gets closer into fall and you should start now <laughs> preparing for it. You should think heavily about the security and the training and all that. And then just, I would add also just re-examining your logistics. And this is where capacity makes things more difficult when you're at higher capacity. It's more difficult to do this, but also thinking about like, you know, you might want to move a scare zone in an area that is a, a like if there's an area where things always happen because there's no lights or things there and there's no security doesn't patrol that area move some stuff around so that you make that area people have eyes on it you know and, and keep in mind too like wherever you're you're putting your scare zones and moving moving these activations around that is part of all of this it's like you're 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 <laughs> you want to reduce the, those those possibilities anyway it's my last thing okay ah uh, that was that was a long that was long so we have another story here about uh uh, policies. Oh gosh. So, uh, I Icon Park has paused their new sniper-like shooting game following online criticism. Icon Park paused a new sniper-like laser shooting game amid criticism following a recent spate of mass shootings. The Bullseye Blast game let riders of the 400 wheel Icon or 400 foot wheel at Icon Park pay an extra 5.95 to shoot laser blasts at. 50 targets strategically placed along the rooftops throughout the park. In a statement issued Saturday, park officials said that while the ride has been well-received by customers, some had questions whether it was appropriate following mass shootings at, you know, we don't need to go into mass shootings, but following mass shootings. Um, you know, 
I guess my take on this is I'm glad that the the park walked it back, and I'm glad they did kind of issue a statement about it. Um, I, I I think a, a, the criticism was 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 there's a lot of criticism about this, and I think it is all valid. It's it's what we've talked about previously about like you know you may not want to have a uh, a maze about an infectious disease at your Halloween event, you know, for for quite a while. You know, like you may not want to have people coughing, the characters like coughing on you as you know that you might not do any of those things for a while. It's that kind of cultural sensitivity. Um, I, I'm not sure how much blame I would put on the park for coming up with the the initial idea because sometimes you, you, you know, you're, you're unsure of how it's going to be. And I mean, you know, this, I, I don't know, Scott, what, you know, coming creatively, you live this life, you know, you're always talking to people and pitching with clients and discussing this. Sure. What do you think? Well, I love, so let me talk about what I, I like about this concept. I think the interactivity is great. I think it's yes. utilizing, mm-hmm. I think it's utilizing, um, a, an existing asset in a new way. And it's basically creating another, um, quote unquote, velvet rope that guests can or choose may choose not to um, activate or be a part of. I, I also have to address the the elephant in the room. Icon Park is clearly still under the microscope. Um, they yep. had, they've yep. had their challenges, which we've reported on this yep. show. And uh, so, you know, they're going to need to respond. I, I appreciate the fact that they have responded, whether it is justified or not, um, whether they have responded in that they have responded in this way, showing that they are clearly working to rebuild the trust of their guests and of the people in the Orlando area. All of that said, I feel that this actually ties very closely to the story we just spent way too much time talking about. This is a situation where culturally snipers are cool and that's why high school kids are doing it. So I would try any way I possibly could to repackage this same material, um, make it a game of tag, make it a game. And, and I know there are going to be people who are like, well, that's lame, but it's exactly the same thing. It's just simply repackaged. So I think we as, as attraction professionals need to continue to look at the fact that we can reinforce just like we were talking about in the last in the last story, we can reinforce positive behavior and positive outlook based on the creative, and not just stoop to uh, people. Well, people won't pay six bucks to to shoot bunnies or to shoot. I shouldn't say shoot bunnies because now the now animal rights groups are going to be after yep. me. But to to yep. you know to to tag mushrooms uh, or whatever it is that you're you're trying to hit with with the laser. Um, but then my point is, okay, but. Where where do you draw that line between culturally responsible and profit? You know, you you have to. We've we've talked a lot on this show about making your making sure your guests understand where you stand as a company. And if Icon Park is pulling back on this, I think that is making a very strong statement and actually makes me feel more positive about them as an organization. I hope that they find a re, uh, find a way to repackage this so that they don't lose revenue because I think in and of itself it's a fun thing, but. If it's if it's going to glorify if it's going to glorify sniper violence, it is not the right choice. Yeah. And to Scott's point too about relatability, this is also we're going to I think see a little bit more of this because there are a lot of haunted attractions that have laser tag, that have zombie paintball, that have that that, that feature guns as part of their experience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them out there because that's that's kind of a, a staple. And uh, I think you will. You, you, you will see this a little bit more. And I think now is the time for attractions to kind of think about, is there a way for us to repackage this experience in a different way or put it in, try and, try and definitively put it in a different theme kind of 
context so that I mean, it's even, not even when it comes to halloween going back several years um i did a haunt for bush gardens in tampa um which was called zombie containment unit um 13 and the whole idea was that yes it used laser rifles however we didn't mm -hmm. call them guns we didn't call them rifles and what they did was they activated a collar that had been applied to yeah. all of the zombies so we specifically yeah. made it that you weren't killing in fact you weren't even killing the people you were right. actually paralyzing them long enough so that you could get them back under control yep. and i promise you guests still went through there having a blast uh, yep. No pun intended. Yep. So just just take a moment to be a little bit more sensitive to the way that you creatively package any sort of of um, shooting assets, gun-like yep. gun assets that you have that you want to continue to use and make money off of. Yeah. Okay. Well, our our last quick story here is that Universal Studios Japan has announced their full Halloween horror nights and family friendly experiences for 2022. We'll link it in the show notes. So you can read all about it. We don't have time to go into everything. Um, a few takeaways I have for this is that they're leaning also into the kind of Universal monsters because they do have a, a new Universal monsters kind of maze there as well. So it kind of seems like as a overall brand, they are trying to kind of make sure that all of the properties are similar, which is good. They have two returning mazes, which is. I think fine for that area because it's not like here we're we're expecting everything to be changed up. Um, but the, the big thing that they're doing is they're bringing back Sherlock Sherlock Holmes: The Curse of the Rose Sword, and this is a this is one of those things I think is really cool um, and it kind of probably only works at Universal Studios Japan because of the 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 local mix and the throughput. But it's essentially kind of an immersive experience that is that's written an original written immersive kind of theatrical slash escape room-ish type of experience that happens in their 4D theater. So it's using the 4D theater as a space, but it is using this and Sherlock Holmes comes in and he needs your help and audience members participate to kind of help solve it and they get out. And I, I love, because Sherlock Holmes is big in Japan and I love that they are taking this thing and writing their own script around it and kind of making it an activation for people that's a little bit longer. It's a lower throughput, longer kind of immersive theatrical experience. Um, some, not something we would see, I think, in the U.S. because of our throughput and our all that, but it's a great experience there, and uh, the writers behind it um, uh, did a great job. So. Cool. Well, I'm glad. I, I am glad to see that they are. You know, I'm all about bringing back haunted attractions and and mazes and such that have been popular. Um, I always like to serialize them a little bit. So you change them, you tell the next chapter of the story, or you reveal a few more details each time you bring it back. So I, I'm not I'm not a huge proponent of all things have to be new, but I'm in the minority when I'm here in Florida. So uh, I try to continue to 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 work that into again a culture shift. Um, and it sounds like I've not experienced Sherlock Holmes uh, and Curse of the Red Sword, but it sounds like it's an mm -hmm. awful lot of fun and anything that's immersive and allows guests to interact with the experience. Of course, I'm always all about. Well, my friends, um, believe it or not, this went by really fast, Philip. This was a very quick show. Um, that is the end of our show. Uh, we try to keep this to 30 minutes just for uh, out of respect for your time. So on behalf of Philip and myself, thank you so much. Uh, please tell everybody about Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you all next week. Okay, that's it for today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for our weekly Haunt News Roundup. Just a reminder, we are preparing for our annual Hauntathon. If you have a haunt that you would like us to cover on the show, please contact us and let us know about it. We do cover haunts, both large and small, during a Hauntathon. And if you just have news that you want us to cover for your haunt, we do run a weekly newsletter and we are accepting submissions for inclusion in our weekly Haunt News Roundup. So if you just have news to send, send that over as well. 
Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Hauntopic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. <laughs>